You know, up to date, up to this date, we've covered several topics under the heading of biblical giving. And tonight we'll begin, and as I prepared this message, I definitely do mean begin, because it's, it's a lot more in-depth than even I expected. But we'll begin on the subject of tithing tonight. You know, as I began to prepare this message and produce this message this week, I was reminded of the book of Jacob, chapter 3, verse 1, where the Bible says very plainly, Let not many of you be teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. Now, the Bible just comes right out and says that a man that decides and takes upon himself the position of a teacher will receive a stricter judgment than one that takes upon himself the position rather of a, of a seeker or of a listener. Now, the subject of tithing is probably one of the most, if not the most, talked about subject in churchianity today. But yet, the subject of tithing is probably one of the most overlooked topics in Scripture. And that's very interesting. Because you have something that's most talked about, but yet you have something that is most overlooked in Bible study. You know, just think about this. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but think about when's the last time you really heard a preacher teach an in-depth study on tithing in the Bible. Just think about that. Then think about when's the last time you heard a preacher say to pay, pay your tithes. Probably may have been yesterday, you know, over the radio or something like that or over the television. As far as I can remember, I've actually never heard a preacher teach. Well, no, I take that back. I have heard one, but it was more along the lines of the Bible. But I've never heard a preacher get up and teach in nominal Christianity or churchianity on the subject of tithing. Most people that go to church today simply follow the instructions of the person that's teaching them. And for many, this is all that they are able to do because they may not have the wisdom to study themselves. But consider this story that will illustrate exactly what I'm saying. There was a story that went like this. It said that Jill had, a, had to grab a cab to get to a meeting uptown. She held one down, got in, and told the cabbie the address she needed. The cabbie turned out to be a lunatic driver, and Jill sat in the back seat clutching the door handle, wondering if she could expect to survive the trip. The cab driver sped through the crowded New York City streets, weaving in and out of the traffic. Jill watched as one pedestrian after another leaped aside to avoid being run down by her crazy driver. Jill looked ahead and saw a truck double parked on the narrow street. Not only did the driver fail to slow down, he actually accelerated as he approached the truck. He slipped his cab through the available space with an inch or two to spare on either side. Driver, Jill screamed, are you crazy? Are you trying to get us both killed? Relax, lady, he said. Just do what I do. Close your eyes. But what does the Bible say concerning scenarios like this? He said, look, just close your eyes. Matthew 15, verse 12. The Bible says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Notice it says both shall fall into the ditch. It doesn't say the one following will not fall into the ditch. It says both. Luke 6.39, the Messiah said, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall not they both fall into the ditch? Now I've decided to take upon myself the position of a vital teacher, and you all of necessity must take upon yourselves the position of Bible students 
it's an absolute necessity that you do this. Because so many people today get in the groove of believing everything that a preacher tells them. He's the man of God after all. He can't be wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. The authority of a preacher is a very good thing. And the eldership is a very good thing. But we must always remember that a preacher or slash teacher is not the infallible source of truth. They can make mistakes. And if the blind lead the blind, both, not just the one that leads, but also the one that follows, shall fall into the ditch. You know, from my Bible study on the subject of giving, I'm seeing that there are many blind leaders of the blind so far in what we've talked about. And this includes the subtopic that we are going to begin tonight on the subject of, uh, of tithing. Now, I plan to, to very thoroughly cover this topic so as to leave no stone unturned. We definitely are not going to try to cram it in into one message. But there are many places that I could begin in the Bible. But I'm going to start out in Leviticus chapter 27. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 27 to begin the message. You know, in Leviticus 27 verses 30 through 33, we find the very first place in the entire Bible where Yahweh gives the commandment to tithe. He gives it to the nation of Israel, which nation he, he gave all his laws to, One Psalms 147 verses 19 through 20. He has not dealt so with any other nation as for his statutes. They have not known them. He, he, he showeth his judgments and his statutes to Israel. But he gives this directly to the nation of Israel. We'll begin reading Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. The Bible says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is Yahweh's. It is holy unto Yahweh. Now, in this verse, we learn here that both the tithe and the word tithe literally means the tenth. That's what the word means, the tenth. You could actually substitute tithe for tenth in the Bible, and you would not be added to or taken away because that's what it means, a tenth. So we learn that both the tithe, literally the tenth, of the seed of the land, this is the land where Israel was going to inherit, the land of Canaan, and of the fruit of the tree was Yahweh's. The Bible says that it was holy to Yahweh. Now, when it says that it's holy to Yahweh, it doesn't mean that it's too sacred to touch or something like that. But it means that it's set apart to Yahweh or it's set apart for the work of Yahweh. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that it's supposed to be set in a nook or a cranny and not looked at or not touched. But it's set apart for the service of Almighty Yahweh. Verse 31. And if a man will at all redeem any of his tithe, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. This is something I've never heard talked about, but in this verse we find that a man could redeem, and the word redeem simply means to purchase back, to set free. He could redeem his tithes, and this applies specifically to the tithe of the land and of the fruit of the trees. Now, this was done by adding one-fifth part unto the value of the tithe. What, what does that mean, Brother Matthew? Well, let's look at the same chapter, verse 9. We're going to read through verse 15. Leviticus 27, verse 9. And in your spare time, go back and read verses 1 through 8 because it will show you about the presentations and, and the uh, devoted things that were given to Yahweh. In verse 9 it says, And if it be a beast, and what it's talking about is if the gift or the offering be a beast, whereof men bring an offering unto Yahweh, all that any man giveth of such unto Yahweh shall be holy. He shall not alter it nor change it, a good for a bad, or a bad for a good. And if he shall at all change beast for beast, then it and the exchange thereof shall be holy. And so if he gives a beast unto Yahweh, 
he can't change it, but if he, do, if he just has to change it, then both the gift and the exchange shall be holy. Verse 11. And if it be any unclean beast, of which they do not offer a sacrifice unto Yahweh, then he shall present the beast before the priest, and the priest shall value it, whether it be good or bad, as thou valuest it. Who art the priest, so shall it be. But if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereof unto thy estimation. And Verse 14. And when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto Yahweh, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad. As the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation unto it, and it shall be his. Now, because that's King James English, let's, let's put it in simpler terms. We see here that if they brought a devoted thing to Yahweh and it was an unclean beast, let's just use unclean beast here for a second, the priest was to look at the unclean beast and say, okay, this is the value of the beast. I can't offer this beast up to Yahweh because it's unclean, so you give me the value of this devoted thing. Now, this is not a tithe here in verses 9 through 15. This is simply a devoted thing, a gift to Yahweh. You give me the value, so you give me $100. But then you want to redeem this gift of this devoted thing back. Well, then what is one-fifth of $100? It would be $20. So in order to redeem or to buy back the devoted thing, you'd have to give the valuation that the priest gave the beast plus one-fifth. Now, we know that you could do this with the tithe of the seed and of the fruit tree because of Leviticus 27, verse 31. Put it like this. If I gain ten baskets of grain... I would owe one basket to the work of Yahweh. Now, what did that mean? That mean that I would tithe it to the Levitical priesthood. And if I chose to set that basket free or redeem it, which I could according to verse 31, I must learn the value of that basket from the priest. Once again, we could use $100. The priest has valued the the ten baskets of grain, uh, or excuse me, the one basket which I tithed off of the ten. He's valued it, let's say, at $100. But I... Decide that I need to redeem that back. I need to buy that back. Well, Yahweh allows that to take place with the tithe of the land or of the fruit tree. I'd have to pay back $120. That is the valuation that the priest set upon the tithe plus one-fifth part thereof. Now let's move on to verse 32. The Bible says, "...in concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto Yahweh." What this tells us is that every tenth animal, this was of animals obviously already in existence, from both the herd, the word herd here means oxen or beads, and the flock, which denotes a sheep or a goat, was to be holy unto Yahweh. And it seems that from the text that the owner of the herds or of the flocks was to hold out a rod and allow the animals to pass under the rod. And each tenth one, he must have had a device or something that he did to mark the tenth, each tenth one that came under was holy to Yahweh, and that was commanded that they were to tithe of their herds and of their flocks. Verse 33, He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it, and if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Number one, the Bible says that the person wasn't to look at whether the tenth one was the best or was the worst. And you can obviously think that if it may, maybe was the best, they might have wanted to exchange it. But just in case that came into their mind, 
Yahweh said, don't exchange it. But if you got to exchange it, then you not only have to give the exchange, but you have to give the tenth one that come under the rod too. So it's a lose situation for you. Actually, it's a blessing for them if they understand obedience to Yahweh's law properly. But if you try to get around the law, Yahweh's already got that under control. And he says, look, you can't exchange it. If it's a good one, not to look. Both it and the exchange shall be holy. Also, you could not redeem the tithe of the animal. Look at the end of verse 33 again. It says, it shall not be redeemed. Now, the tithe of the land and of the fruit of the tree could be redeemed by adding one-fifth part to its valuation. But the tithe of the herd of the flock, according to Leviticus 27.33, could not be redeemed. Now, I don't necessarily know why, but it doesn't matter. Yahweh said one can be redeemed and the other can't. Also, let me make a note that I can't find in the Bible where there were any tithes on unclean animals, as I see. Now, we saw earlier in Leviticus 27 that you could bring a devoted gift to Yahweh from an unclean animal, but you couldn't give the unclean animal to the priest to offer up because that offering would not be acceptable to Yahweh because he only accepts the what animals? The clean animals, right. When Noah got off the ark, the first thing he did was offer up of the clean animals and sacrifice to Yahweh, which proves, by the way, that the clean and unclean designation was before Moses because it goes back at least as far as the day of Noah, Genesis chapter 7. You could also give from the firstling of an unclean, whereas I don't find where they tithe on the unclean, but you could give of the firstling of the unclean animal. And we'll get to a passage that talks about that here in just a little bit. Now, the tenth animal under the rod is separate and distinct from the offering of the firstling of the flock. The tithe and the firstling is not the same thing. One is from animals that open the matrix of the womb, the firstling, the firstborn. The other is from existing animals that are able to pass under rods that are not the firstborn. You've given the firstborns of each uh, mother as a devoted offering unto Yahweh, but the existing animals that are left, they pass under the rod and you tithe on those as long as they are herds or flocks, beeves or sheep or goats. For instance, Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, the Bible says that he offered up the firstlings of his flock. He did not tithe. This wasn't a tithe here. This was a firstling of the flock. And his offering was more excellent than, than Cain's, as Hebrews 11 tells us. Now, what Abel did is in association with Exodus chapter 13. Let's turn to Exodus 13. Because we'll see here what Abel did. It's just explained a little bit further on in the Bible. Exodus 13, verse 11. Yahweh says, And it shall be when Yahweh shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it to thee, that thou shalt set apart unto Yahweh all that first opens the womb, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be Yahweh's. And every firstling of a donkey thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Why does he tell you to redeem the donkeys and men? Well, first of all, he tells you to redeem the donkeys for the same reason Leviticus 27, unclean. He tells you to redeem man because he didn't want you to kill the firstborn of your son. He wanted you to redeem it, the valuation of that child. That was the first fruit offering, and this was something that was practiced by Abel as far back as Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Now we see that both the tithe of the land and the tithe of the herd or of the flock and the firstlings 
were holy unto Yahweh. Now once again, what does this mean? What does holy unto Yahweh mean? Well, let's look at the next place from Leviticus 27 that mentions tithing in the Bible. Numbers 18. That's what we're going to go to. Now when we go to Numbers chapter 18, we're going to see exactly what Yahweh means when He said that the tithe is holy to Yahweh. Numbers 18, verse 1. The Bible reads, And Yahweh said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. I want you to notice something here in these two verses. This shows that there was a difference between Aaron's direct descendants and Levites in general. Notice that he speaks to Aaron that his descendants will be for the ministering of the iniquity of the people. But then in verse 2 he says, And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi. And he pretty much states that they're going to help you out on the outside of the temple or of the tent of meeting, which we'll see it brings it out more clearly here as we read. Verse 3. And they, speaking of the also of the tribe of Levi, shall keep thy charge and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar that neither they nor ye also die. And so these were Levites now, Levites, that could not come nigh unto the altar to minister inside the tent of meeting or of the tabernacle. That was only to be done for Aaron and his descendants. And I really didn't know this as clearly as I do now until I got in here and and dissected uh, Numbers 18. Verse 4, And they shall be joined unto thee, this is the Levites in general, they shall be joined unto thee, Aaron, and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. Verse 5, And you shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. Now, what is this talking about, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel? Well, it's talking about what happened in Numbers 16 and 17. You need to go back and read that. Number 16 talks about the rebellion of Korah, um, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, these men were Levites. They were Levites, but they were upset. Why were they upset? Well, they were upset because Yahweh had placed Aaron and Moses on a pedestal. Aaron and Moses were above these Levites. Aaron was dedicated to be the high priest. Moses was kind of like the mediator between Yahweh and man. They didn't like it. They said, look, we're all equal in in Yahweh's eyes. You can't say that, Moses, you're above here for the spokesman of Yahweh and Aaron's the high priest. What they didn't understand is that that's Yahweh's institution. Yahweh is the one that chose Moses and Aaron. And so they didn't have any right or authority to speak against what Yahweh had chosen. Aaron and Moses were delegated more authority than Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Well, they got upset. They tried to take upon themselves the service of the work of Yahweh, and we don't have time to get into it tonight. Go back and read it. They ended up dying. The earth opened up, swallowed these men. The 250 men that followed with these three, or, or these five or six, they got burnt with fire from Yahweh. And then a plague came upon Israel. And if Moses would not have told Aaron to get him a censer and put fire in it and go in the midst of the camp as quick as he did, and the Bible said Aaron went quickly. 
If he wouldn't have told him to do that, Yahweh would have wiped all of Israel out. But because Aaron went so quickly, and you can read about it in number 16, he got in there quick enough to where that incense began to go, go through the, the, uh, tab- the congregation there of Israel that there were only 14,700 that died that day. And they said, well, that's a pretty big number. Well, think about how it would have happened if Aaron wouldn't have been so quickly. And my point of bringing this up is this, is that these men that rebelled and tried to get in the office of the high priest and of Moses, they were of the tribe of Levi. They tried to rebel and get in the same office that Yahweh had instituted for Aaron and Moses. And they weren't allowed to do that. And then in number 17, so Yahweh could straighten things out, he said, look, he said, I want all 12 tribes to bring a rod. I'm going to put your name, put the name of the, of the heads of the households on the rod. Make sure you put Aaron's name on Levi. I'm going to set them up here, and we're going to see which one blossoms. Aaron's rod blossomed. It sprouted forth almonds. And, and Moses said, now you know that Yahweh has chosen Aaron. Not just any Levi, but Aaron is the high priest. And after Aaron died, a direct descendant from Aaron would minister in the priesthood. As a matter of fact, in number 16 when the men that were from the tribe of Levi tried to get the office of the priesthood, Yahweh spoke through Moses, or Moses spoke himself. I can't remember which one it was. But he said, is it not enough that Yahweh has made you Levites? Do you also desire the office of the priesthood too? And this is something that is not readily understood in Bible study today. Is that although there was something called a Levitical system or priesthood, All Levites were not priests. They were not high priests. Only Aaron's and his sons and his descendants. As you say back here, the Aaronic priesthood. That would be a biblical term. That's right. It was an Ark of the Covenant. Go back. Don't take my word for it. Go back in Numbers. Read Numbers 16, 17, and 18. And you'll see that this is the case. Now let's go back to Numbers 18, verses 6 through 7. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren and he's talking to Aaron, the Levites from among the children of Israel, to you they are given as a gift for Yahweh to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Let's continue reading. And Yahweh spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings, of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Now, he's talking only to the ironic here. Let's read it. He says, Every oblation of theirs, every meal offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. In the most holy place shalt thou eat. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offerings of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee and to thy sons and to thy daughters with thee. By a statute forever, everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. Now now he's talking to... uh, the Aaronic priesthood, and it continues on through verse 12. Look at verse 12. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto Yahweh, them have I given thee. Now let's stop right here for a second. Now the word best and first fruits is used interchangeably here. He calls them best, and then he calls them first fruits. 
In reality, you can look at first fruits as not only first in order, but first in rank. And so first fruits does not necessarily mean first in order, but can also mean first in rank, as verse 12 says. Verse 13, And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, now this is first in order, which they shall bring unto Yahweh, shall be thine, Aaron and his descendants. Every one that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Now what's that devoted go back to? That goes back to Leviticus 27. All the devoted things was to be Aaron and his sons. Now the Levites are going to get something here in a second. Don't get me wrong. But this is to Aaron and his sons. Let's continue reading at verse 15. Everything that openeth the matrix in all flesh which they bring into Yahweh, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of an unclean beast shalt thou redeem. Remember I said earlier, you could bring a firstling of an unclean beast? This was the verse that would prove that. Numbers 18, 15. It was to be redeemed, but you could bring it as a firstling. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. Now what this talking about is this, is that when you bring a man or an unclean animal as a firstling, and you have to redeem them, the redemption price, the set price on that, is the five shekels of silver. It's the price that's mentioned in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 16. Leviticus 27, 16 shows that the price of redemption for someone, I believe, that was first born up in like five months old was five shekels of silver according to the common shekel of the sanctuary. This was the redemption price for the firstlings of men and the firstlings of unclean animals. But the firstling of a cow or the firstling of a sheep or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. In other words, you don't let the priest value it, place a money value on it. You don't allow that to happen. What do you do to it? They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar. He's talking to Aaron. And shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto Yahweh. And the flesh of them shall be thine and the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto Yahweh have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before Yahweh unto thee and to thy seed with thee. And Yahweh spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. He's still speaking to Aaron. He's about to speak to the Levites in general here in verse 21. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, it is a place where Yahweh shows that He set the Levites apart from the other tribes of the nation of Israel. He set them apart to carry the Ark of the Covenant and to perform the holy offerings of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 through 8, it shows that Yahweh's offerings equal the inheritance for Levi. Deuteronomy 18, 1-8 actually shows that Yahweh's offerings were compensation for the Levites. We're talking about in general now. Yahweh's offerings were compensation, speaking specifically of the tithe, for the Levites in general, for their work and ministry at the tabernacle. That was their compensation. Now in Joshua 18, let's read Joshua 18. Let's go to Joshua chapter 18. Let's read verses 1 through 9. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, 
and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Notice the land was subdued. Seven tribes still hadn't received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which Yahweh Elohim of your fathers hath given you? Give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land, and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coast of the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring, why? Because there were seven tribes left, obviously. And bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before Yahweh our Elohim. Verse 7. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of Yahweh is their inheritance. Now what are we talking about here? We're talking about land grants. He granted a certain specific portion of land to the seven tribes that were left. There were some tribes that had already got their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, if you remember studying the Bible about that. I believe it was the tribe of God. Uh, I can't remember the others, but there, Reuben may have been one of them. There were some others that got it on the, uh, on the east of the Jordan, and then these other seven was going to get it on the west of the Jordan. But he said, but Levi, he's not going to get a land inheritance. Now, I'm going to give him compensation for not giving him any land. He's going to get the fire offerings and the tithes in Israel. Verse 8, And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it and come again to me that I may here cast lots for you before Yahweh in Shiloh. Now, although Levi had no land inheritance, we do want to share a very unknown fact in the Bible that the children of Israel were commanded to give cities and pasture lands to the Levites. Let's look at Numbers 35. Now, the Bible very clearly has stated, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 18, Joshua 18, that they didn't have any inheritance. Yahweh was their inheritance. But if the Israelites were commanded to give the Levites cities and pasture lands where they dwelt, Numbers 35, 1 through 8, the Bible says, And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, Command the children of Israel that they give unto the Levites of the inheritance of their possession cities to dwell in. And so the Israelites... Got an inheritance. Yahweh says, Moses, you command them that they give the Levites cities to dwell in. Let's keep reading. And ye shall give also unto the Levites suburbs for the cities round about them. Now that word suburbs simply means pasture lands, if you look it up. Verse 3. And the cities shall they have to dwell in, and the suburbs of them shall be for their cattle, and for their goods, and for all their beasts. And the suburbs, pasture lands, of the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites shall reach from the wall of the city and outward a thousand cubits round about. So we're not talking about inside the city. We're talking about outside of the walls. Verse 5. And ye shall measure from without the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, on the south side 2,000 cubits, and on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. And the city shall be in the midst. This shall be to them the pasture lands or the suburbs of the cities. And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge. And so we see that these cities that were gifts to the Levites intertwined within them, there were going to be six cities of refuge. Now we know what the cities of refuge were for, correct? 
Very good. I was looking for that couple of those words. Unintentional murder. Well, it's really not murder. Unintentional death. A manslaughter, we could say. That if it happened, let's say like, I remember Brother Donovan not too long ago with the axe coming off of the handle. <laughs> Me and him were talking about that or either I overheard him. Let's say you were chopping wood and the axe had come off the handle and it flies 10 yards and it hits your neighbor in the head and he conks out. You're going to have some upset people probably. Well, that that's where the city of refuge would come in. Now, these, there were six cities of refuge in all, and they were assigned to the cities of the Levites, which Israel were commanded to give to the Levites. Verse, continuing in verse 6, let's read it again. And among the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites, there shall be six cities for refuge, which ye shall appoint for the manslayer, that he may flee thither. And to them ye shall add forty and two cities. So all the cities which ye shall give to the Levites shall be forty and eight cities. Them shall ye give with their suburbs or pasture lands. And the cities which ye shall give shall be of the possession of the children of Israel. From them that have many, ye shall give many. But from them that have few, ye shall give few. He doesn't want anyone burdened. Everyone shall give of his cities unto the Levites according to his inheritance which he inherited. And so that's very commonly unknown. That although they didn't have an inheritance, they were commanded to give cities and pasture land for what? The cattle and the, and, the, and the beasts of the Levites. They grazed out there on the pasture lands. Also, we won't turn there, but Leviticus 25, verses 32 through 34, also show more about these cities that were given to the Levites. It shows what happened to them in the, in the year of Jubilee. It shows if they had a redemption price, if they could be redeemed, if they could not be redeemed. That's Leviticus 25, 32. Now, let's close this out by looking back again at Numbers 18, verses 21 through 32. The Bible says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. He's talking about Levites in general here. Now, I already know that because of the switch that was made, but it's going to really become apparent here in just a second. He's talking about all the Levites, the children of Levi, not just Aaron and his descendants, but all of Levi. They were to receive, as it says right here, all the tenth in Israel. All the tenth belonged to Levi. That tenth that we talked about back there in Leviticus 27 of the land, the grain, the tenth that we talked about of the herds, the flocks, things like that, the tenth of the fruit of the trees, all of that went to Levi. It was his compensation. 22. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. Once again, when Yahweh specifies for Levi to do something, that negates any of the other tribes. When Yahweh specifies for Aaron to specifically do something, it negates even any of the other Levites. Verse 23. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto Yahweh, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Verse 26, Listen to this, this is something else that's not really talked about today. Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, 
Then ye shall offer up, offer up a heave offering, it's talking to the Levites in general, of it for Yahweh, even a tenth part of the tithe. Now this shows that when the Levites got this tithe, they actually had to give a tithe of that tithe. And you automatically wonder, if, you, if you've never read on, you wonder, well, where are they going to give that to? We know that the Israelites tithe is going to go to the Levites. But where are these Levites going to give their tithe to? I mean, it's obviously holy to Yahweh. Well, reading on, the verse will tell us. Verse 27. And this, your heave offering, shall be reckoned unto you, as though it were the corn of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So what he's saying here is this, is that when you give this tithe of the tithe, it, it will be just like it was your threshing floor and your winepress. That's how it's going to be. 28. Thus ye also shall offer and heave offering unto Yahweh of all your tithes, speaking to Levites now, which ye receive of the children of Israel, and ye shall give thereof Yahweh's heave offering, which is equal to what? The tenth of the tenth. The heave offering equals the tenth of the tenth. And you give it to, who does the Bible say? Aaron the priest. Now what this shows is that is this. Like I said before, the tithe was to go to the Levites in general because they in turn had to pay a tithe of the tithe to Aaron or once Aaron died to a direct descendant that was working as priest or high priest in Israel. We find that when Aaron died, we find that Eleazar, his son, got to put on the priestly garments and he took over. And then in Numbers, or excuse me, not Numbers, in Nehemiah chapter 10, which we're going to go there in just a second, Nehemiah 10, it shows that it had to be a direct descendant of Aaron as well. Let's keep reading. 29. Out of all your gifts ye shall offer every heave offering for Yahweh of Yahweh, of all the best thereof, even the hallowed part thereof, out of it. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, When ye have heaved the best thereof from it, then it shall be counted unto the Levites as the increase of the threshing floor and as the increase of the winepress. And ye shall eat it in every place, ye and your households, for it is your reward, like I said, compensation, for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. And ye shall bear no sin by reason of it, when ye have heaved from it the best of it. Neither shall ye pollute the holy things of the children of Israel, lest ye die. Now what he's saying here is this, is that once you give the tithe of the tithe to Aaron the priest, or to the direct descendant of Aaron, as the Bible shows throughout, once you do this, you eat of the rest of the tithe, and you won't incur any guilt for doing that, because you've already done what Yahweh says to do. What this would also imply is this is that when the children of Israel were to give their tithes, they were to give their tithes in order for their eating of their crops, not to incur any guilt among them. In other words, had they held back their tithe and not given them in compensation to the Levites, they also would have incurred guilt. Why? Because it was a transgression of the law. It was against the law of Yahweh. You see what I'm saying? As it so is with the general Levites in incurring guilt, if they don't give the tithe of the tithe, I, I guarantee you're not going to hear preachers say that. The tithe of the tithe to Aaron, so also the children of Israel would incur you that they didn't give their tithe to the Levites. Works hand in hand. Now, last verse, Nehemiah 10. I just want to go, go here to show that the direct descendant of Aaron was to whom the tenth of the tenth was to go to once Aaron passed on. Nehemiah 10, verse 38. And I'm just going to read one verse We'll definitely get more into Nehemiah 10 as the series continues. Verse 38. The Bible says, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes 
unto the house of our Elohim to chambers into the treasure house. What does it say here? The priest, the son of Aaron. Son meaning descendant of Aaron's family, direct. So what this shows is that not only Aaron could receive the tithe of the tithes, but the direct descendants as they came down from Aaron's lineage were to receive the tithe of the tithes. Now I hope that there's been some things here in the Bible tonight that you didn't know from the get-go about biblical tithing. And that's what we want, isn't it? Biblical tithing. We don't want non-biblical tithing. We want biblical tithing. But we're going to stop right there for tonight and continue next week with talking about what is known as the first, second, and third tithe. And we'll also get a little more in Chronicles and Nehemiah as we continue. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer, and then we'll take comments or questions.